0: Inside the Game, brought to you by FlexCoach and FlexCoach VR. Hey everybody, it's Chris Riley on Inside the Game, brought to you by FlexCoach and FlexCoach VR. Today we are joined by a very special guest, the head coach of Yale University, Keith Elaine. He's been there 14 years. He's won a national championship. Keith, welcome to Inside the Game by FlexCoach.
1: Nice to see you, Chris. I'm glad to be here.
0: Great to have you on board. Let's talk about your early beginnings in Worcester and Massachusetts playing hockey. How old were you when you started and and what was it like for you when you came
1: up? Yeah, it was uh, make me think of wonderful memories. I was probably eight or nine years old when I started playing hockey. Um, I had six brothers and my dad was an immigrant from Canada and, uh, you know, he had hockey in his blood. Um, So we started, we played in the Worcester Youth Hockey Program. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, they had a house league and then they had a travel team. And then I played for the travel team. And the, the goal was always to play for our high school, St. Peter's high school. And I was fortunate enough to play St. Peter's high school for four years. And, and there were two, two years during my high school career where there were four lane boys on the hockey team at the same time. So it was really a lot of fun.
0: Now, were you the youngest out of the brothers or were you kind of, uh, in the middle of the mix?
1: I was second oldest. Uh, but okay. we came pretty quickly. So my my older brother was a year ahead of me. Then I had twins one year behind me, and then then another brother just a year behind them. So that's why we're able to play high school hockey together.
0: Now, you played, you were talking about the travel. Travel today is much different than it was when you played. It's probably, you were probably regionalized. Maybe you went to Connecticut once in a while, maybe to Rhode Island. Talk about that experience when you were coming up with travel. I mean, what, what did you learn back then? Were you a goalie from the, the hop too, or?
1: Uh, no, actually, I, I, I was a forward. And, um, and my dad was our coach and our goalie quit. And I was the only kid on the team that he could make play goal. And, and as luck would have it, I, I could make the travel team as a goalie and I wasn't good enough to make it as a forward and I wanted to be on the travel team. But I really didn't, I didn't enjoy playing goal until I got to high school hockey. Uh, because then it was, I felt like it could have an impact on the game. I think, you know, the, the youth level, I felt like I was doing a lot of watching.
0: Yeah. Now your dad coached you. Um, what was that experience like? I, I've always like my dad coached me in certain sports, never ice hockey, but what was that like for you having your dad coach you? Was he hard on you? Was he more of a teacher to you?
1: Um, uh, he was hard in a, in a way that's, that, that's was very helpful. You know, I mean, I, I think, the, the, the thing that my dad taught me was he had a great passion for the game and and his thing was, if you're going to play, you got to you got to give it everything you got every time you do. And if you do that, win, lose or draw, it doesn't matter. And I think so. He he really taught me to love hockey um, and, to, and to and to give it everything I had. Now, you play in high school
0: and you're at St. Peter's. Um, Were you dominant as you moved up or did you get better as a goalie? You talked about that's really where you were able to set the table. I mean, what kind of a goalie were you and, you know, how did you get noticed by the colleges back then?
1: Yeah, I certainly wouldn't use the word dominant. Um, I did get better as I got older and, uh, and I, you know, I, I think, I mean, I made the varsity team as a freshman, didn't play a lot of games. Um, I was a league all-star by my junior year. Um, and, and I was, you know, our, our, high school coach did a great job of reaching out to college coaches for us, um, to be honest with you, central Massachusetts at the time, which is where Worcester is, yep. wasn't getting a lot of attention. You know, all the, all the, all the Boston the division yeah. 1 players were from Boston. Um, and, uh, and, and so I was looking at Holy Cross very closely. They were a division mm-hmm. school to a uh, school at the time and, and would have been happy to go there. And then I think in January of my senior year. Um, Our rival high school was St. John's and their best player was a a kid that I played with on the travel team and Yale came to watch him play and I happened to have a good game and the Yale coach asked him do you know that goalie from St. Peter's and he said oh yeah I know him really well so we they called me and and we came down and did our visit to Yale in February got an application in and, and one thing led to another and I ended up coming to Yale.
0: Did you was that Tim Taylor had come to see you play?
1: No, it was actually a gentleman named Russ McCurdy. Uh, it was the previous coaching staff. Um, okay, Russ McCurdy and uh, Paul Lufkin was the head coach at the time, and then they they got let go uh, in April, uh, right when the season ended and and before acceptances came out. And so uh, Tim Taylor and Ben Smith uh, kind of followed yep. up with McCurdy. Were, so,
0: were you nervous having a coaching change? Thinking, oh my gosh, here I am I applied to Yale, and you know, back then it was was the grades vital to be, getting into the school.
1: Oh, absolutely. Grades were vital. Um, and, uh, and, and getting a push from the hockey coaches was vital. Um, and I, I guess I wasn't nervous about the coach being fired. I mean, to me, Yale was the only division one school that recruited me. And I, I wanted to prove that I could play division one college hockey. I, they, you know, they were a weak program at the time. Um, but I wanted to be able to go and play division one college hockey. And then obviously Yale's a great school. Um, so
0: Talk about your first experiences uh, academically coming into Yale because you're playing a winter sport. You're not playing a fall sport. Were you intimidated coming into an Ivy League school, or were you kind of prepared for what was going to come your way?
1: I was very much intimidated, and I think I think a lot of the kids, even that we bring here now, you know, the, you walk around and you wonder, do I really belong here? Right, that's the question you're asking yourself. And I was extremely fortunate. I uh, my advisor recommended a particular English class. Um, and, uh, the class was a freshman English class that was taught by the head of the English department at Yale, which is one of the things that makes Yale unique. Yes. And he's a gentleman by the name of Bart Giamatti.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. The former and baseball so, commissioner, <laughs>
1: yep, former baseball commissioner and, and, uh, former president of Yale. Um, so I, I wrote my first paper and I get the big red letters on top of it. See me and so I go up and, and I've got my Boston Red Sox cap on, not knowing that he was a big baseball fan and a Red Sox fan. And he uh, asked me where I was from. And he said, you haven't written very much, have you? And I said, no, I haven't. I mean, I went to a little inner city Catholic high school. And he said, well, I can tell that you can think. I'm going to teach you how to write. And he literally put his arm around me and, and, and taught me how to write. And, uh, and being able to write well Really greased the skids for me in my Yale experience academically, and uh, and and I owe a lot to, to Bart Giomatti. And you know, and two years later, he became president of the university, and he would have me and a couple of other students to lunch once a month because he didn't want to lose lose touch with the undergraduate population. So he was he was incredibly influential.
0: Um, talk about though, like the influence—that's kind of an impressive thing to know. The future baseball commissioner as your English teacher at Yale University. Um, what did you take away from the time with him in the classroom and going to lunch? I mean, that's that's really unheard of today. Teachers don't really associate with their students as much. Um, what were your takeaways with him?
1: Well, And that was my takeaway that like, I mean, he was the head of the English department at Yale and he was extremely interested in a, a freshman who didn't write well. And he wanted to help me write better. I mean, that, and, and, you know, and, and it was just so impressive to me that he would take the time that he genuinely cared. And, you know, and, and instead of, you know, kind of embracing his top students, he was going to the bottom of the class and trying to help them out.
0: Now you're playing hockey there. Talk about the balance between you're at an Ivy league school. It's already intimidating. Talk about the balance between the workload and the athletic workload and how you have to balance that.
1: Um, it's not easy, but I, I found then, and I even find now being back as a coach that it's, um, because of the demands of a hockey season, uh, your your day becomes pretty regimented. And, and so during the season, you know, you get your work done, you get your rest, you go to hockey and, uh, and really the guys that have had trouble. It's usually in the springtime when hockey's over and, and they, it's a nice sunny day. you, relax, you yeah. can, just, can go sit outside for a day. That turns into three days and they haven't done anything. So um, I think the structure helps, actually. Now, you're playing there. You graduate from
0: Yale and you head off to Sweden to play. And talk about why you decided to go overseas to play hockey back then. What was the reason? I mean, most guys come out of Yale, they probably think, you know what, I had a great four years, had a wonderful time. Now it's time to go do the real world thing. But you decided to go to the you know, Swedish leagues. What, what prompted you to go overseas?
1: Well, I mean, I love playing hockey. Um, I wanted to have a career as a professional hockey player. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, a team saw me play during the season um, and they called me and offered me a contract. Uh, and I was trying to weigh that versus, um, riding the buses in the American hockey league. If I was good enough to make an American hockey league team and and try to fight my way up that way. Um, certainly I'd never been to Europe. I'd hardly been outside of new England. You know, the first time I got on a plane was my sophomore year at Yale when we went to play Minnesota. So I I think weighing all the options, it seemed like a great life experience. Uh, I was continuing to play hockey. I was going to make money playing hockey. Um, So it really was an easy decision to make
0: differences between the game collegiately and pros and also with the rink size, you know, in the NHL or the North American, the the rinks are only 85 feet wide, 200 feet long over there. They've added, you know, it's 100 feet wide by 200 feet long. Talk about those differences. And and also now you're professional, you're being paid. There must be a lot more demands placed on you, too.
1: A lot more demands placed on you, but you have a lot more time as well because you're not studying. Um, you know, In fact, I kind of went over there with a reading list because I wanted to, to keep my mind active as well. But the game in Europe is different because of the size of the ranks. Um, and also I think in a country like Sweden, I mean, they have a different culture, a different thought process. So the game is much more collective. Yes. You know, I can remember um, you know, we had four units of five. That's kind of what they were called over there. And in practice, you they would have different colors. And I can remember the first week I asked one of my teammates, who's the best player on the team? And he said, Well, you know, the blue unit's really good. And when they're playing well, they have a difference. But that red unit's pretty good. Like he, he wouldn't tell me about <laughs> it.
0: He wouldn't say who's the top guys, yeah. No,
1: it's it's it was that collective and and, and that's how they play the game. And it was a puck possession game and You know, the the much greater volume of shots over here in North America, which I liked as a goalie. I had to learn to be more patient because I'm almost screaming to myself, shoot the puck, shoot the puck. And they pass and then they pass. And I like making saves, you know. So it was a different difference for sure.
0: Um, Now, you're over there, you get injured and your career is going to end as a player. Um, did Tim Taylor reach out to you to come back to Yale to be an assistant or did you call him and say, Hey, look, my, I, my, my time is up. I want to come back. I want to coach. And what prompted you to want to get into coaching?
1: Um, he did reach out to me. He had a, an opening on the staff and, uh, and I was feeling some pressure to get a real job. You know, I, uh, I mean, I'm this is the first person in my family You know, neither one of my parents went to college and, mm-hmm. and I have a Yale degree. And, and this sense that you got to get on with your life um so i really uh i actually briefly i told him i gotta i gotta try to get a real job and then procter and gamble was recruiting yale athletes and they reached out and and i briefly got into a training program at procter and gamble and after several weeks i realized this this isn't it so i uh i turned in the company car and called Timmy and asked if he still had that position available. So, so for $6,000, I went back to Yale for as second assistant.
0: <laughs> How, now talk about learning under Tim. Tim was a very good coach, tremendous motivator, tremendous teacher. Um, but now you're going to be an assistant coach to him. You're no longer a player. How did he treat you differently? What was he teaching you? Um, and that separation because there's probably some guys who when you were a senior were there their freshman year and now you're their coach. I mean, talk about how you have to kind of separate yourself as a coach from the players and you're no longer buddy, buddy, but you're, you know, now you're my, you're my coach and you're telling me what I need to do.
1: No, it's a great question. And I can remember I, because, I mean, I had this great respect for Tim and and I knew that everyone in the hockey world had this great respect for Tim. And I, and I asked him, you know, like, what are you looking for from me? And he gave me some of the best coaching advice I ever had. He said, Keith, the first and most important thing is you have to be yourself. Don't try to be me, um, and you know because if you're not, the players will will they can sense phoniness from a mile away, and and then you'll lose them forever. So I I hired Keith Elaine. I know what you are. I know what your personality is. I know what your character is. That's what I want you to bring to the table, and uh, and that's something I really tried to carry with me um, because I couldn't try to be Tim Taylor. Um,
0: Do you think it it helped you having been a former player in the recruitment process uh, of getting players to come to Yale?
1: I think absolutely, because I think I could sit in in a kid's living room and and talk to them. First of all, what it's like to be a student athlete at Yale and what it's like to play for Tim Taylor as a hockey coach. So, uh, um, you know, those experiences I had and I could share.
0: Interesting. Now you're there for three years. And you decide to go back to Sweden as a player coach. What prompted you to say, okay, I think I've learned everything I learned or was there a better opportunity that came up to go back over to Sweden?
1: Um, neither actually. It was um, my wife. My current wife was my girlfriend at the time and she was a girl that I met in Sweden and she couldn't be in this country. She didn't, you know, she didn't have a work visa work permission or whatever it was. Um, and so uh I wanted to get back there and be with her. You know, she would be here for a couple of months and then have to go back home. Um, And also as the the second assistant in college, the bulk of my job was recruiting. And I enjoyed coaching a lot more than I enjoyed recruiting. And I knew that if I went back there, I'd be able to coach a little bit more. So um, it was a number of things, uh, personal and professional.
0: What will you take? What did you take, though, from your time at Yale that you were able to, you know, implement when you went to Sweden as a coach? What were you able to say? Oh, now I'll be able to use this. I'll be able to use this. Were there key c- components that you had learned from Tim that could translate pretty well?
1: I um, mean, I think one of the, the things was a certain confidence in my ability. You know, uh, one of the other great things Tim did for me early on. And I can remember, you know, it was our first game. I'm his second assistant. So I'm up in the press box and I come down between periods. What did you see? And I tell him what I see and nervous that he's not going to think it. And he goes in the room and literally what he told our team were the three things that I told him. So I said, geez, well, if maybe, <laughs> maybe I, maybe I have an idea here about what I'm seeing <laughs> in the hockey game. So he gave me a lot of confidence that way. And, uh, and that was certainly helpful to me as I went over and, and had my own team.
0: Now you're over there. Um, you, be, you leave the, you leave coaching there and you become, I see here in your bio, you work in the investment business, and I guess you didn't like that either. Procter & Gamble didn't work out the investment business. You become a head coach for the first time in 1989. Talk about that experience. That's got to be kind of intimidating, or it's kind of got to be like, oh, my gosh, now I'm the guy in charge. I mean, what, what, you know, what was it like for you?
1: Uh, it was very intimidating, and, and the really tough part was I didn't have an assistant coach. I mean, I would literally walk down the end of the bench sometimes and say to myself, "Okay, what do you think? Should we sh- shake the lines up here? Should we move guys on the power play?" And I'm answering my question to <laughs> myself. So I, had, I had nobody to bounce anything off of, and uh, um, and you know, but it was a great learning experience. You, you did the, did learning. the players
0: did the players respect you? Did the players say, "Oh, well, he's played here. He's you know, he's a Yale guy. He's kind of you know, he's more probably cerebral. He understands our system, how we coach with the different units."
1: Um, I think uh, I think the players did. I think I had a great rapport with the players and I think there was respect there and they knew that I cared about them. And, you know, by that time too, I'd done a lot of stuff with USA hockey and that gave me some credibility uh, on the international scene. So I think all of those things come into play and, and I worked hard to, to include the players in in what I was doing. So.
0: So then you decide to go to scouting with the Capitals. You also become an assistant coach. What was that jump like to the NHL? Did you ever envision yourself doing that? Or were you more like, ah, I want to stay with the college game, but, this is a great opportunity. That I can't pass up.
1: I always wanted to be in the NHL. I, I think, uh, I think when I went back to Sweden that first time, I, I, I was quoted. I, I, there was a quote in the newspaper that my goal was to coach in the national hockey league. And I saw it years <laughs> later. I'm thinking, Oh, how, like, how foolish was that? I never played in the league. I have no ties to the league. This there's really no chance. I'll get an opportunity. Um, and How'd that never, come about? Well, I mean, as, as luck would have it, when I went over to Sweden that, that second time, I told every coach I knew that hey, I didn't want to get lost in Europe. You know, if, there's any, if you know any teams that are looking for scouts, let me know. And Ben Smith was at Northeastern at the time. And Wyoming Jack, a modern. Button, yeah. and Jack <laughs> Button was the assistant general manager of the Washington Capitals. And Jack was in watching some players and they talked after the game. And Jack said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a scout in Sweden. And Ben said, well, I know a guy. And so Jack flew to Stockholm the next week and we, we met at a hotel downtown and he interviewed me for three hours, came back the next day. And, and so he offered me a job while I was coaching over there, I was scouting part-time for Washington. And then uh, you know after the year, they offered me to come back to Washington as the goalie coach. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm coaching my own team here and I want to get to the NHL, but I was afraid that if I went as a goalie coach, I would be labeled as a goalie coach. Um, and so we kind of did that dance for a couple of years. And then I left to coach the Olympic team in 92. And, okay, uh, and
0: to Albertville. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then after that, they offered me a job as an assistant coach. So I've that a L- number of years.
0: Talk about that Olympic experience that, that was, you know, an incredible time. I actually was there a little disclosure. I worked for CBS at the time on the Olympics there. Talk about your experience in coaching with the Olympic team. Those are elite players. They're Ray LeBlanc had an amazing, you know, time there. Um, talk about that, that time, you know, in the Olympics, what it was like for you.
1: It was from a coaching perspective. It was, it was the most beneficial year of my life. You know, it was, uh, we, we picked a team in July. Um, we stayed together all year. We traveled the globe. Uh, we, we, we developed a team. We developed guys' skills. Uh, Coach Peterson was an amazing guy to work with. You know, uh, I mean, if you ask me what three coaches influenced me the most in my life, it would be my dad who really instilled in me a love for the game and a passion for the game and, and do everything as, as hard as you can. It was Timmy who, who taught me that the game had structure. And you could see see things develop in the game and it was coach peterson who really taught me to give the game back to the players and trust them and, and let their creativity shine through and uh so he was he gave dean blaze was the other assistant and he gave us lots of responsibility and uh and i thought we had an amazing run in the olympics so it was just in uh, you know another dream of mine growing up was to was to be on the olympic team right and and to me from watching wide world of sports as a kid, the Olympics were the Alps in France. Right. And so I was fortunate enough that I actually got to do that.
0: Now you've been the assistant coach and then you go over to the blues. Talk about like how you had to deal with the professional athletes, you know, goalies. I mean, I know you dealt with Jim Carrey, you know, talk about, you know, how, does, how do you fit in as a goalie coach to a team? I mean, what do you work on with the goalies at the NHL level that you wouldn't work with, let's say, at the, at the youth level, collegiate level? I mean, it's a pro game. It moves so fast. Um, do these guys look to you for advice? Do they look for you for guidance and structure?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the thing that I learned early on in Washington as an assistant coach is that pro players want to be coached. They want to get better and really your job as a coach is to show them that you can help them get better. You can help them get that next contract. You can help them win that next round in the playoffs. And if they believe that you can help them, they'll do pretty much anything you ask Mm -hmm. them to do. Um, in terms of coaching goalies at that level, um, you know, I still think you have to stress fundamentals because there are certain habits that the game requires. And then it's a lot of just conversations about situations. What did you see on that play? you know, what were the shooters options? Uh, where was the pressure coming from? Would you have done anything differently? And, and it's really just kind of talking through the mental aspect of what they're reading and reacting to. Um, and then keeping them fresh, you know, particularly if it's the backup guy or, um, you know, what do they need today to be able to perform tonight? And, and those are the kind of things you're working on.
0: How much of it is mental with them? you know, everyone has those physical attributes. Everyone is great. Everyone can do everything, but mentally, how do you work with them to keep them sharp? What do you do?
1: I mean, I, you know, another thing I learned at the national hockey league is, is confidence or lack of confidence is the, is the deciding factor uh, in most games in the national hockey league. And it's not just goaltenders. It's, it's every player. I mean, you have to realize that, you know, um, the guy that scores 40 goals in the National Hockey League is an elite goal scorer. But even that guy is having failure at least 40, 40 games a year,
0: you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and I
1: can tell you, when these guys go two games without scoring a goal, they think the world is falling down on them. There's pressure from the media to score. There's pressure from management to score. There's pressure from their teammates to score. And, and so that confidence thing is fleeting. And, and to be able to keep that up is 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 really the most important thing you can try to do
0: expectations have got to be high for these guys i mean there's no there's no like learning curve at this level like it's either you get it or you don't get it that's pretty much what you're kind of you know saying here
1: absolutely and and i mean their jobs are on their line the paychecks are on their line you know or having to move their family if they get traded or get cut i mean there there's a lot of pressure on these guys it's 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 a great game and it's a great league but it can be a hard lifestyle sometimes
0: we're talking with Keith Elaine, head coach at Yale University, here on Inside the Game, brought to you by FlexCoach and FlexCoach VR. We'll have more right after this. Inside the Game, brought to you by FlexCoach and FlexCoach VR.